In the middle of last week, we entered into a new season, autumn or fall, and we know what that means. That means it is time for the leaves to start changing. In fact, in my area where I live, there are just a few trees that are beginning to show the first signs of leaves turning yellow, and we look forward to them turning red and purple and all of the other colors uh, that the leaves change into in the coming months. It's a reminder that time continues to flow, even though some of us may have forgotten uh, what day it is, what month it is, all of the rest over the last year and a half. Uh, we know now that the time is fall, and we have much, I'm sure, to look forward to. Now, I want us to make sure as we come to God's Word that we are also thinking spiritually about what time it is. Jesus is very concerned that his followers are able to discern the time. Let's look at the passage together from the end of Luke chapter 12. We're looking at Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 49, reading through the end of the chapter. Listen as I read from God's word. I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Thus ends the reading of our text. Every single time we study God's Word, we need to recognize our need for His help. We do that by praying, so let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for uh, even the stark uh, warnings that Jesus gives here in Your Word. May we heed them. May they make a difference in our lives. May they give us perspective on how we're thinking and living and I pray, O oh Lord, that your Spirit will help all of us. Help the one who listens, that they will understand, believe, and be changed. And help me, Lord, help me to speak in a way that is truthful, encouraging, and honoring to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this text today, I recognize that here we have Jesus saying uh, some rather pointed words, words that are difficult in our day and age to hear, words about 
judgment and fire and all of the rest. But I want us to really see what it is that Jesus is talking about. So we're going to look at this text under two headings. Uh, First of all, we're going to look at what Jesus is saying as it's a time of purpose. And secondly, we're going to see that it's a time of discernment. First of all, Jesus wants the people listening, including us who are reading this text today, to understand that the time in which he was living was a time of purpose. Now, whenever I think about Jesus's purpose in coming to the world, I immediately think about my favorite purpose statement that he gives, that I came to seek and save the lost. And that certainly is a purpose of Jesus coming into the world. But here we actually see two very distinct purpose statements and another statement that suggests purpose that sound different than that, and we need to consider it. The first is, notice in the text, it says, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. What does Jesus mean when he says, my purpose for coming is to cast fire on the earth? In saying this, he sounds much more like John the Baptist from many weeks ago when we were at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. We saw that when Luke came preaching and telling people that they needed to repent and be baptized, he also talked about the winnowing fire of God. And so by Jesus using this language, it sounds a lot like John. In fact, it sounds a lot like Uh, many of the prophets of the Old Testament. Fire in the Bible represents the judgment of God. Now, when I say the judgment of God, I know that in the modern world, people instantly think about arbitrary, uh, you know, problems with God's anger management, but that is not what judgment is. Judgment is when God finally reacts to all of the rebellious instigation of people to whom he has bestowed grace upon grace. Judgment is when God finally says, enough, enough of doing what is absolutely antithetical to the way I created you and your well-being. It's when God says it's time to make all of that wrong right. And so when Jesus says, I came to cast fire, what he's saying is, I have come to bring a definitive judgment. He says he longs for it. But I want us to understand that the idea of casting fire also in the Old Testament is referring to casting the word from God or prophetic word. And so Jesus wants the prophetic word that he has, uh, not only in his message, but he has in his person, uh, to really come with power on the earth. I also want us to understand that when we talk about casting fire on the earth, reading uh, the Gospel of Luke, that the Gospel of Luke has another book in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And there he writes about God casting fire on the earth through the giving of his spirit. We see that so beautifully in Acts chapter 2, where the spirit comes in tongues of fire. And so I want us to pull these things together. Do you see they're not disconnected? The tongues of fire were saying it is time for people to understand how to be right with God to respond in faith, 
to be filled with his spirit, and to live differently than everyone else in the world. And that in and of itself is a judgment. That in and of itself is a way of God revealing his word in the world. Jesus says, I want to see that happen. And uh, so I want us to understand what that means. Secondly, he says that he has this baptism. Verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, that word uh, that we translate uh, distress there is the same word that Paul uses over in the book of Philippians uh, to talk about his emotional turmoil between wanting to go to heaven and be with Christ and wanting to be of service to the people of Philippi and other Christians that uh, he served. In other words, he says in our translation that he's torn between the two. And so Jesus says that there is this uh, baptism that is uh, tearing him. He, he wants this baptism to come. Now, what baptism is Jesus talking about? We certainly cannot be talking about his baptism that he had from John because by this point in time in his ministry, that is growing distant in the rearview mirror. No, Jesus is talking about a different kind of baptism, a different type of uh, being immersed in the flood of something, not water, but the judgment of God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is talking about the time of purpose, and he says, the time of purpose, I come to bring judgment, the word of God, the spirit, which is fire from God, but I've also come to be baptized in my death. You see, Jesus was not an unwilling victim of his crucifixion. He was not surprised by it. It wasn't an alternate plan. It's why he came. Why would he say that uh, he is basically torn until it is accomplished? Because Jesus understands that the only way for any human being that was listening to him then or listening to him now to be right with God is to have their fundamental need satisfied. And what is that fundamental need? What is to be right with God? And the only way to do that is for everything that makes us not right with God, everything that makes us separated from God needs to be paid for. And he knew that his baptism, that is his crucifixion, was the means that God was using to make people right or righteous, to use the biblical word, before God. Jesus says, I want that to happen. I'm torn until it happens. But thirdly, and perhaps even most surprising, Jesus says in this time of purpose, that it is also a purpose of his to bring division. Now, we need to think carefully uh, about what he means by this. Notice he says, verse 51, do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, uh, no, I tell you, but rather division. And then he goes on to delineate all of the division that would happen within a single five-person household as he delineates, you know, this person is going to be against this person, this person against this person. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that part of his purpose, part of the reason he came is to actually call out a people who had a new ultimate authority in their life. 
And you know what happens when someone has an ultimate authority in their life that is different from the ultimate authority in someone else's life? There is a division that happens within him. This is actually prophesied back in the prophet Micah that this would happen in the day that the Messiah came. And Jesus is saying, that's part of my purpose. Part of my purpose is to come and enable people to see that there is a higher allegiance that they must have in order to honor God, to serve him, to enjoy him, and that that is going to separate them from other people in the world, including perhaps even people in their own family. I think too many of us know this keenly well, right? Because we maybe grew up in families where our uh, decision to follow Jesus Christ in faith created a division in our family. Perhaps our parents not only just didn't understand it, but there was a sense of rejection because we chose to follow Jesus, because he was more precious to us than simply currying favor with our mom or our dad. We know that sometimes it divides siblings who decide to go in two very different ways. We know sometimes it divides parents with their children from the other perspective when the child says, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And it breaks the parent's heart because as much as the parent loves the child, they have given ultimate fealty to Jesus. And Jesus says, in that sense, I come to bring division. And this is helpful for us because I think sometimes we're thrown when people disagree. We're thrown when there's conflict. And we should be if it is over something uh, that is less eternally uh, important, you know, if it is something about your, like your favorite music or uh, perhaps uh, some sort of political question or perhaps some disagreement about history, it is a shame that we end up with divisions that separate even family members. But there are some separations that are inevitable. You see, the heart can only have one ultimate loyalty. And when you are ultimately committed to Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing at all, including even our closest relationships, can stand in the way with that. Does that mean that Jesus is here diminishing the importance of a mother or a father or a sibling or a child? Not at all. He's simply saying there can't be a comparison in terms of the way we think about Jesus. Jesus is in a category all of his own. Do we think about him that way? Or do we too often sort of mix him in to all of our other commitments and obligations so that he gets lost in the shuffle? You see, he must be singular in our commitment. He says it is a time to understand purpose. His purpose is to delineate who it is that considers him most valuable and worthy to be loved and followed, even if it creates division. So that's helpful for us. And that, of course, gives us a time of purpose. So what's true for us? Do we understand how important Jesus's baptism by crucifixion, if you, as the text says, how important that is to us? Is he so precious to us that nothing else matters as much as him 
and that even if people were to disown us or unfriend us or exclude us, shun us, persecute us, that none of that matters in comparison to being faithful to Jesus Christ. You know, I pray that that is true for each of us. Now, Secondly, I want us to look at it, this text as well from the perspective of that Jesus understands the time in which he's living is a time of discernment. Now, where do I get that? Well, I get it in the way he talks about people's understanding of the weather. He describes how people are very aware that there are two kinds of weather patterns that are easily identifiable. So when they see a cloud coming from the west, they know that cloud is moisture that's coming off the Mediterranean and is going to bring rain into their land. And when they feel the the breeze blowing hard from the south, they know that that's coming from the desert, dry areas, very hot areas south of them, and they know that's going to bring in hot, dry air. Do you know that that happens here in the United States? There are uh, winds in California. When my daughter went to school out there, she would experience these from time to time called Santa Ana winds, and they would blow in from the desert uh, to the east of the LA area. And when they blew, it definitely dropped the humidity and it definitely increased the temperature, at least uh, in the summer and the fall. Uh, But it also made it more dangerous in that area for fires. And so it often made it very difficult for people who were fighting fires. And so the Santa Ana winds were very important. So when people felt the winds coming from the east, they knew that it was gonna be warmer, drier, and that it might just be more dangerous for wildfires. They knew it. They didn't have to think about it. Uh, When I read this passage, I think of a great line in Bob Dylan's classic song, uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues. I know, it's your favorite too. Now, uh, it's, uh, there's a great line in there. It says, uh, you don't need to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. And I like that. I'll say it slow. You don't need to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. And, and, and what Dylan is saying there is times are changing and, and, and you don't have to be a genius to see it. Jesus is saying, you understand how to read the signs of weather or the signs of things that are changing. But do you understand that right now, people who are listening to me, this is a time for you to be discerning. Notice how he tells them, he says that they're hypocrites. Why? Because they could understand cause and effect and things like the weather, but they weren't understanding that if John had come as a forerunner of the Messiah and had had such an amazing response, baptizing many and preaching about repentance, and then Jesus came along doing miracles and teaching and really communicating the word of God in a way that was accessible to everyone who heard him, they were not understanding that this meant this was the time that you need to think about your relationship with God. This is a pivotal time. That's what Jesus is saying. You need to discern where am I with God right now? That's what he's saying in the use of this illustration. He includes a passage that you might be familiar with uh, from uh, the Gospel of Matthew here about uh, settling things on the road, but I want us to understand that in this context, 
Luke is describing Jesus using that parable in a way to describe how we need to be discerning uh, given our state before God. You see, Jesus was trying to help people understand, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to help you in the way I'm helping you now forever. Now, we know he, he helps us in a much greater way by sending his spirit. But he's saying right now is a time for you to think, to be wise, to discern. Where are you with God? Where is your confidence with God? And so he tells this parable. He says, if you don't recognize your trouble when you are being dragged off you know, uh, to basically before a judge to settle a debt, if you are not wise, if you're not discerning in that, you could end up getting handed over uh, to an officer, that is a debt officer, it's a very technical word, that will put you in debtor's prison and you will have to stay in prison until your debt is paid in full. Now you say, how in the world can somebody pay their debt when they're in prison? Well, they pay their debt uh, because as they are being punished and maybe even perhaps beaten, their family and friends who feel so bad about their imprisonment might come up with enough money to cover their debt. But the reality is most people never got out. And that's what Jesus is saying. When he uses this expression, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The actual word there that we translate penny is actually a fraction of a penny. So in other words, he's saying you have to pay every single bit. Now, why is he using this story? Because he's saying when we think about uh, our relationship with God, if we think about it in terms of an indebted relationship, you know, where do we stand? Let's be discerning about that. Do we owe God anything? Well, the Bible is very clear that we owe God everything that he has created us in his image, and that our whole purpose in this world is to reflect his glory here and now and always. And that if we don't do that, that we basically incur debt. That is, that we owe God something. Now, in the Old Testament, God tried to illustrate this just incredibly graphically. Whenever you didn't honor God in your thoughts, in your words, or in your deeds— the Bible called that sin, and if you did that, then you actually had to pay by bringing an animal uh, before the altar and have it there slaughtered uh, to pay to atone for your sins. You, In other words, you owed something to God, and so you actually took an animal that was a financial resource for you to God as a way of trying to train the heart that our rebellion against God, our refusal to reflect his glory in thought, word, and deed incurs a debt before the Lord. Jesus is saying, look, the time is now for you to be wise and discern. Can you stand before God and settle that debt? Do you have a means of settling that debt? We are all like the person in the parable. If we are brought before the judge, on our own, in our own strength, in our own performance, based on our own past, we would never, ever be able to pay the debt. You might be list watching or listening, and you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know that I've done that much uh, that would make me indebted to God in that sense. Well, I love an old illustration I've heard from different sources. Let's imagine it this way. I've updated it with modern technology. Let's imagine that from the time you are born, every 
time you utter a phrase, you know, something like, well, he ought to or she should have, every time you give a statement of obligation basically out of your mouth, let's imagine a little tiny MP3 recorder records what you said your whole life. Imagine especially in your angsty teen years or in your bitter 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whenever your bitter stage might have been. Every time you got a little judgy, you were a little condemning, you were a little gossipy and slandery against someone talking about what they ought not have done or ought to have done. Every time that was recorded and at the end of your life, God were to say to you, you owe me. And you were to say to him, I don't know what I owe you. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, I will just simply cause you to pay what you have suggested others pay. And that recording of your whole life and all of those judgments gets played. And you hear yourself saying, well, they ought to have done that. They ought not have done that. They should have done this and all of the rest. And God looks at you and said, so did you do what you said others should do? Did you act and take care of other people and show mercy to people and grace to people like you yourself said people ought to do it? Well, the reality is we won't have done that and we will be found, again, debtors before God, both from his word and from our own words that we utter day in and day out. Jesus says, look, now is a time for you to discern where you stand before God. Why is that helpful? Because it's if we are honest and recognize that before God in and of ourselves, that we stand as debtors before him, then we will seek to resolve it now. We will go back and look at the purpose for which Jesus came, and we will say that the baptism of crucifixion that Jesus endured was not just an abstraction, and it wasn't just a historical reality, but it was a personal truth that I need, that I depend on, that I receive as a gift, because I need the finished work of Jesus Christ to pay the debt to God that I cannot pay. I will be discerning about my need for Jesus. Jesus wants us to recognize the time and be discerning in it. Don't be blind. The time is now. That's why in the Bible, it always says today is the day of salvation. Today is a good day to discern where we stand before God. If you are someone who has put your faith in Jesus Christ and you joyfully placed all of your sin upon him, then you can be glad that Christ has perfectly satisfied uh, your debt before God. You can have a new sense of joy because he has freed you from that obligation. But you can also join him in helping people understand that we need to take these things seriously. Now is a time for discernment. Don't just know when it's going to rain or when it's going to get hot. Know that one day we have to answer to God. That is what Jesus is telling his disciples and the crowd and us who read this text. 
I pray that we will take advantage of this time and be discerning about where we stand before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for giving us your word. While it may be uncomfortable to hear Jesus talking about coming to bring and cast fire on the earth and to bring separation, as we study it, we are reminded, Lord, that he is talking about how grace will separate those who have been changed and believed from those who don't feel a need to be changed, who reject the idea of grace. And Lord, while we continue to pray for those who as of yet have not responded to this good news of Jesus being baptized in death to pay for our debt, we pray, O Lord, that they will respond, that they will understand the time in which they live and that they will use it to discern their need for Christ. Help us, if we believe it, to be gracious, winsome sharers of that truth. And if we have not believed it, help us take this time to be right with you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we study God's Word together. It really is fun uh, to do this, and it's also fun to hear from you. If you don't mind sending us a text or an email or dropping us a call, you can find information on our website, how to do those things. And uh, if you're a friend or family member, uh, you just stop by and say hi. Uh, to be honest, if you don't even know us, you could still stop by and say hi. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Now I want you to uh, end this time with a blessing that comes from God's word. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.